Welcome to the mine. We are so glad you're here. We're going to have another great Tuesday evening together. I've been waiting a whole week for this moment. So, yeah, exactly. Ever since last Tuesday ended, it was like, somehow I'm trying to figure out how God could sandwich Tuesday to Tuesday, but I don't know. Maybe that wouldn't be good. All right. A couple of announcements. Uh, Some of you have already asked. In fact, tonight, uh, you're already looking past May 13th to summer. And you're saying, is there going to be a Bible study for us in the summer? Yes, there will be. Uh, We're going to have a four-week Bible study this summer in the month of July. And we'll be letting you know more about that. Again, right here, just like the mine on Tuesday evenings. So uh, we will have a Bible study in the summer. But we'll also then start back up in August uh, with our fall study as well. So anyway, guys, we're glad you're here. We are here tonight to celebrate Jesus Christ and our life with Him. And we are here just to ask God to speak to our hearts tonight. At least, that's why I'm here. And uh, I hope that's what you're here for too. So let's open up with prayer and then I'm going to turn it over to these folks. God, thank you so much for the life that we have through Christ. And God, you just inspire us. You really do. You just give us energy beyond ourselves. And Lord, just being connected with you and inspired by you on a on a daily basis is just amazing it's just amazing and god just what you're doing in our lives and the life of of this body of believers we are just wanting to just take some time tonight to just acknowledge that and just to thank you jesus for all that you do for all that you've done for all that you're going to do and we're here to celebrate you and lift you up tonight so lord may our hearts and and our worship time just be an overflow lord of of what you've even done in our lives this past week and let's just lift our hearts lift our voices lift our hands just worship you and god we ask this in jesus name amen Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 25 tonight, I want to share with you about, in a sense, the wardrobe of God, putting on the wardrobe of God. As we grow as Christians, the Bible sort of compares our spiritual growth to laying aside old clothes, clothes that no longer are are in style for us as a growing Christian, and to put on a set of new clothes that fits our new life in Christ. And that's exactly what Paul is sharing with the Ephesians here in this passage we're going to examine tonight. And what I'd like to do is just read this passage and then I'm going to go back because there's two phrases in this passage that are really the key phrases of everything in there. Everything revolves around these two phrases and we're going to start with those tonight. Let's pick it up in Ephesians 4.25. Paul says, Therefore... Having laid aside falsehood, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on the cause of your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. The one who steals must steal no longer. Rather, he must labor doing good with his own hands so that he may have something to share with the one who has need. You must not let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for the building up of one in need, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You must put away every kind of bitterness, anger, wrath, quarreling, and evil, slanderous talk. Instead, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. I love the practicality of the Bible. 
And there's no passage of Scripture that's any more practical than the one we're going to examine and study tonight. But there's two key phrases in this passage tonight that everything else is built on, built around, and that, it's these. First, verse 27, do not give the devil an opportunity. Everything that Paul has shared with the Ephesian Christians is a reminder to them that we've got to be careful that we do not give the devil an opportunity. couple things. First of all, then, the Bible teaches us the reality of Satan. There is a devil. And there are those who deny the existence of the devil. They may be those who, who believe in just some kind of evil force out there. But the Bible clearly teaches the existence of a personal devil. And Paul says to the Ephesians, and he says to you and I, let's not give this devil an opportunity. Let's not make his job any easier by giving him an opportunity. First of all, you'll also notice in verse 27 that the devil has no power in our lives to take the opportunity. It's that we give him the opportunity. Because in Christ, we are victorious over the devil. And in Christ, we have a greater power than the devil could ever dream of having. So when we, when the devil has an opportunity in our lives, it's because we allow him to. It's because we give him that opportunity. It's no different than when we go through life sometimes and we give people a power over us that they do not have, but because we allow them that power, then they have that power. And so Paul is saying, look, Christian in Ephesus, look, Christian in Chandler, don't give the devil an opportunity. He cannot take from us and he cannot entrench himself into our lives in places that we do not allow him to. So don't give the devil an opportunity. The word devil is the word diabolos in the Greek language. There are many different names for Satan in the Bible. Uh, someday I would love to do a study on what the Bible teaches about angels, good and evil. Uh, but for our purposes tonight, I want to stick with the one phrase, the one name that the Bible does give for Satan, and it's the word devil, diabolos. The word literally means to come between. And that's one of the strategies of Satan. That's why the Bible tells us as Christians we should not be ignorant of the strategies of Satan. Satan has a strategy. He has a plan of attack for churches, for individual believers. He's very intelligent, but he should not be feared, but he should be respected. And one of the things that we need to know about the devil's strategy is the fact that he's always seeking to come between. He's seeking to come between you, Christian, and your God. To somehow drive a wedge between the fellowship that we share with our God as Christians. He seeks to come between husbands and wives. He seeks to come between parents and children. He seeks to come between friends. He seeks to come between fellow Christians. He is always seeking to come between whatever it is. And since then we know that, that's part of how we can sort of be alert and be aware that Listen, I've got, to, I've got to prevent the devil from coming between me and anything or anyone else. God wants to unify. He wants to bring together. He wants to draw people to himself. The devil wants to divide. He wants to trip us up. And so Paul tells us, as well as the Ephesians, do not give this devil an opportunity. I want to then talk about the word opportunity for a minute. 
Very interesting word. It literally means a foothold. The devil doesn't need a lot of space. All, all he needs is just a little open door. That's why as Christians we have to be very careful. You know, it's not like we should divide sins into big sins and little sins. Because if we just allow the devil just a, a little open door in our life, he will come in and he will use that little open door as literally a base of operations to wreak havoc in our lives. Because he doesn't need a four-lane highway, he just needs a foothold. If you're a mountain climber and you want to get to the top of the mountain, you don't need a highway to get there. All you need are places along that mountain to put your foot and to get a foothold. And you can scale that mountain and you can reach that mountain. That's exactly what the devil tries to do in our lives. All he's looking for is that little opening in our lives. And he will squeeze in there. He will get in there. And he will set up a base of operations to where then he can branch off this way and that way. And so Paul says, be very careful. And again, the practicality of the Bible is so cool because in this passage, Paul's going to basically give us very specific suggestions and admonitions and exhortations about ways that we can prevent the devil from getting that foothold in our life. So the first key phrase in our passage tonight is, do not give the devil an opportunity. I can tell you just this past week, as I was preparing to share this with you, that this came in handy for me. Uh, because there was a moment this past week where I, I sort of think I was going sideways a little bit spiritually. And the Lord helped to recall this to my mind as if, Jeff, be careful that you're not giving the devil an opportunity here in your life. And it was like it got me right back on track. That's what scripture can do. That's why the Bible says of itself, you know, our, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. The psalmist says, I've hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, Psalm 119. So the word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews. And so we can use the word of God and be reminded of the word of God, even to just help us through our daily walk with Christ. So don't give the devil an opportunity. Make sure that you're not allowing him a power over you that he really does not possess because in Christ, folks, we are victorious. And don't forget that. The devil wants you to think that you're defeated and that, that you, you don't have any power and that you're powerless and that you're hopeless and he wants to isolate you. That's one of the great reasons why in 1 Peter 5 it talks about the devil being a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And some people may go, why, does, why did God choose to describe the devil as a roaring lion? Well, the lion is the king of the beasts, right? Uh, yeah, but a lion will not waste any energy that he doesn't have to. So, for instance, a lion will sit back, be very patient, and observe the pack of animals that he wants to eat. And he will... He will or, sit there and he will look for uh, an animal in that pack that may be lagging behind, may be hurt, uh, may be falling behind, may be sick, whatever. And once they get away from the pack far enough, the lion can attack because they're not keeping up with the rest. It's a great spiritual principle. That's why God tells all of us as Christians, don't ever isolate yourself. 
Stay in contact with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and stay in contact with your church and and with other Christians in your lives. Because one of the strategies of Satan is he wants to isolate us. He wants to get us off by ourselves to where we feel like we're fighting this battle all by ourselves and it's just us and him. And and if we ever get to that point, that is pretty intimidating because compared to him, we we can't overcome Satan in our own power. And that's why Satan also seeks... For us to live our lives in our own power. Because he can overcome us in our own power, but he can never overcome us when we walk with Christ. He can never overcome us when we're walking in the power of Christ. It is a far greater power than anything that Satan possesses. And that's why we've got to turn over our lives and our, our moments every, every minute to the Lord Jesus and walk in his power. And we will be able, as the Bible says, to resist the devil. And the Bible says in James, he will flee from us. Because he cannot stand up to Christ. And you and I are in Christ. And therefore we need to walk in Christ every day and realize the power that we have in order to keep the devil at bay and to resist him firm in our faith. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Second, the second key phrase is found in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. First of all, the Bible teaches... The Holy Spirit of God is the third person of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not this impersonal force or whatever. The Holy Spirit of God is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. You cannot grieve a force, but you can grieve a person. And the Bible teaches us that we can actually grieve. We can pain the Holy Spirit of God. You know why? Because the word grieve is a love word. I'm not going to be grieved over somebody that I don't love. And part of what the Bible is teaching us here is just how much the Holy Spirit of God loves us and wants to see the very best for us and wants to see us live our life in God to the very ultimate experience that we can. And when we allow the devil opportunities in our life and when we disobey the clear teaching of scripture and we we rebel against the commands of the lord we pain the holy spirit we grieve the holy spirit of god and so paul tells us folks don't grieve the holy spirit when we sin we bring pain to god there are people that don't think god can experience pain i guess You know, he's above pain. No, he's not. The Bible clearly teaches we can bring pain to the heart of God. And that's why we should not grieve the Holy Spirit. You and I probably know if we've been around long enough, there are people that even think we can't experience pain because they've been cruel to us. They've hurt us. And somehow they don't think it's a big deal as if we can't feel anything. We're we're beyond, you know, those hurtful words and, and we're beyond feeling. No, it hurts. The Bible says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible also teaches that we can resist the Holy Spirit of God. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. The Bible also says we can quench the Holy Spirit of God. Can I just say here tonight, I believe that God is speaking to all of us and the Holy Spirit is working and He's moving in our midst. And and I would just like to encourage all of us, let's not resist the Holy Spirit of God tonight. Let's allow the Holy Spirit of God to do a work here tonight and to do a work in our lives. And let's let him have full reign here tonight and not resist him and what he wants to do in any way, shape or form. And then quench the Holy Spirit. 
you know, it, it, it's a great picture. It's just the idea that the Holy Spirit wants to burn a fire within us. He wants to produce a fire for God, a fire for others, a fire for those that don't know Christ. The Holy Spirit of God wants that fire to be burning. But I can quench the Holy Spirit. I, I can literally, by my actions and by my attitude, take a cup and just pour water over that flame and just douse it and put the fire of the Holy Spirit of God out. And the Bible says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. And don't resist the Holy Spirit of God. And everything that Paul's going to say then in verse 25 through 32 tonight, deal with either giving the devil an opportunity or grieving the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, if I am giving the devil an opportunity in my life, if I'm giving him a foothold in my life, I'm probably going to be grieving the Holy Spirit. But just the opposite is true. If I frustrate the tempter, if I frustrate the purposes of Satan, then the Holy Spirit of God is pleased and he's not grieved. So let's go back to verse 25 and let's begin to see some very practical principles of how we can either give the devil an opportunity or we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. First of all, when I put on the wardrobe of God, it transforms my tongue. When I put on the wardrobe of God and when I begin to grow as a Christian, it should transform my speech, my tongue, the way I talk. Paul says it this way, Therefore, having laid aside falsehood, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. A Christian who puts on the wardrobe of God needs to speak the truth and not be deceitful in any way. In fact, when we are deceitful and when we speak lies, we are giving the devil a foothold and we are also going down the same road that the devil went down because John 8, 44 describes Satan as a liar, a liar from the very beginning and the father of lies. And that's what he's all about. He's a liar. He lies to us all the time. He wants us to believe those lies. He wants us to buy into those lies. And we have to attack the lies of Satan in our life with the truth of God. And we have to speak the truth with each other. Because one of the things that will come between us and other people is when we're deceitful. And when we're not living the truth and when we're not speaking the truth. And so Diabolos, the one who wants to come between, will use falsehood and deceit. Because the way we treat each other is going to affect each other. Notice he says at the end of verse 25, we are members of one another. We are all as Christians part of the body of Christ. And therefore when we deceive each other, when we speak falsehood, we are wounding Christ himself. And we are affecting negatively the body of Christ. And therefore we are giving the devil an opportunity not only to get into our lives, but to get into the life of the body of Christ and begin to put down a base of operations and move out here and move out there. You and I need to learn to be truthful. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was the way, the truth, and the life. And if we're going to follow Jesus Christ, we're going to live a life of truth. And as we put on the wardrobe of God, our speech and the way we communicate with each other is going to continually be transformed. And we're going to see changes in the way we talk to people and what we say about them. And it all starts on the basis and foundation of truth. 
Christians are continually to speak the truth. Verse 26. The Bible says right here in these first two, first two words something that a lot of people don't realize. That it's okay to a point to be angry. For some of you, you're like, yeah, I like that. Because notice it says, be angry and do not sin. In other words, there's a line that we can cross where our righteous anger, our proper anger, crosses that line. Now first let me say this. One of the reasons why God says it's okay to be angry is because the word that's used here for anger or being angry is a word that just speaks about having a passion and conviction about something. And that's why it's okay in God's eyes to be angry because that means you care enough about something to get upset about something. God doesn't want us to be fence sitters. First of all, we can't sit on the fence. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're, you're against me. We can't sit on the fence. We cannot always be neutral. And so the Bible says, look, it's okay to be angry. Jesus was angry. Because he believed enough in what he was doing and, and what he wanted to to accomplish here on earth, that there were times where he got righteously indignant and he was angry. And the Bible gives us permission as Christians to get upset about things that grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That it's okay to be angry as long as that righteous anger then doesn't cross over into sin. And that's where most of us have that difficulty is putting a check and a time limit on that anger. That's why he says, be angry and do not sin because I can even get to the point where the anger that I initially had that was good and righteous, if I allow it to dwell in my life too long, can end up being a negative rather than a positive. And that's why he goes on to say in verse 26, do not let the sun go down on the cause of your anger. You see, overindulgence, even in something that initially was good, can end up being bad. And notice in the context then, verse 27, we can give the devil that foothold. Because we've allowed what originally was good anger, being upset about something, to stay too long in our belly, and then it ends up becoming a negative. Let me also say this. There are many people who've read the Bible and who've studied this, and when they come to verse 26... Basically, they teach that what that means is that every disagreement I ever have with somebody, before the sun goes down, I better make it right. Can I just say, first of all, I think that's impossible. But secondly, I don't believe that's what this verse is teaching. I think if you study the verse carefully, all it's saying is that there's a lot of times where I'm not going to have the opportunity before the sun goes down to settle a matter with another human being. But I will always have the opportunity before the sun goes down to settle that matter in my own heart and not allow myself to go to bed to the point where I wake up the next morning and even that anger that I had the day before that might have been righteous anger, holy anger, good anger, if you will, has now developed into something that's not. 
because I, I never learned how to funnel the right anger. I never learned how to, how to channel the right anger. And so it ends up all the time becoming bad anger and, and causing problems in my life and in my relationships. People have anger problems all the time. And it's, it's not because sometimes we don't have the right to be angry and to be upset with what's happened or what's been done, but we don't know how to funnel it. We never had anybody in our lives that, that showed us the proper way of channeling that anger into a, a more productive way than a destructive way. An example, and it's not the best example maybe that I could come up with, but an example that I can come up with is say someone, and this happened obviously years ago, whose teenage son or daughter was killed by a drunk driver. And they were angry. And you know what? It was okay for them to be angry. But instead of allowing that anger to end up in some kind of negative, self-destructive or you know, retaliatory or vengeful thing that was going to end up being a negative... They started mad, mothers against drunk driving. And they channeled their anger into something that was going to, to be helpful and something that was going to be positive. And they learned how to channel that anger into a proper direction. We all have to learn to do that. Because if we don't learn how to channel our even good anger properly or to let it go by the end of the day, the devil is going to have a foothold. And the devil's going to begin to talk to us and tell us lies and, and say, you know, you really need to get them for what they did to you. And, and, and we're going to start playing those mind games with the devil and we're going to lose every time. So be angry. But do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on the cause of your anger. Put definite time limits on the exercise of your anger. Definite time limits. Just like Jesus. He went into the temple, turned the money changers' tables over, dealt with the situation, said, my father's house should not be a den of thieves, but a house of prayer. Dealt with it, said what needed to be said, and moved on. That was a righteous way of handling that situation. And he let it go. He said what needed to be said, and he let it go. I think a lot of times for us, we can't let it go. And God says, let it go. In fact, that's why Paul says in Romans 12, give place for God's wrath. And if someone truly needs to be disciplined, be judged, be, be held accountable for what they've done? Do we not believe that the God of the whole universe is not going to set the record straight? And is there not taught in the Bible the principle that God is just? And even if not through this life, there is going to come a day where God will set the record straight. And if we have faith in that, then we can lay our head in the pillow at night and not think anybody's going to get away with anything. Because they're not. If we believe in a moral universe governed by our God. And that's why we can give place to God's wrath. Notice verse 28. The one who steals must steal no longer. Rather, he must labor doing good with his own hands so that he may have something to share with the one who has need. 
The word steal. You'll recognize this word in the Greek language. The word klepto. We've heard that before, haven't we? That's what the word steal is in the Greek language. But it means so much more than just what we would think of, say, going into a place of business and shoplifting or stealing. You see, what it's really saying is that when we put on the wardrobe of God, God's Spirit not only transforms our tongue and our speech, and not only transforms our temper or controls our temper, but the Spirit of God helps us to become a replenisher and not a depleter. Because what Paul is talking here in verse 28 is really so much more than just that one instance of going in and taking something that's not mine. It's that whole mindset that, that, that people sometimes live their whole life pilfering and taking things that are not really theirs. And they go through their whole life basically as takers rather than givers. They go through their whole life depleting those around them and depleting businesses and depleting organizations and depleting churches rather than replenishing them and refreshing them and building them up. And when God gets a hold of our life, He does not want us to be a depleter. He wants us to be a replenisher. He doesn't want us to be the kind of person that when people hang around us, when they leave, it's like, oh my golly. Okay, I can't see that person again for a couple weeks. I mean, they just sucked the life out of me. That's a depleter. And hey, I realize there are times in our life where we're all there and, and we just need a shoulder to cry on and, you know, we just need somebody to listen and all that. I get that. But what God here is talking about is just that persistent, continual, habitual way of living that you're just taking all the time. Just look, going through life, people going through life, just... How can I manipulate this situation for my good? How, how can I buddy up and, and meet this person? And, and they're always looking at relationships for what they can get out of it, not for what they can give to it. And that's why this verse is so much more than just looking at it as the one who steals must steal no longer. Because notice, he goes on to say, rather, rather than depleting, rather than pilfering all the time, rather than going through life as a taker, rather than a giver, let's labor doing good with our own hands so that we may have something to share with the one who has need. In other words, the Christian principle is not or is that each one should work honestly at what is good and not merely to meet our own needs, but to be in a position to bless others. To be in a position where God can use my life and my resources to be a blessing to others. Again, so that it's not really about me if I'm putting on the wardrobe of God. Yes, God wants me to work. He wants me to provide for me and my family or whatever. He wants me to pay my bills, all of that. But God also wants me to always have in the back of my mind that this isn't just about me either. This is about me putting myself in a position where God can use me as a conduit of blessing. Where as, as, as needs come up, God can touch my shoulder and say, Jeff, here's a person over here, and I think that you have the resources to be able to meet that need. Could you do that for me? And we become literally the hands and feet of Jesus. So when we put on the wardrobe of God, God transforms our tongue. He transforms our temper. He transforms even our outlook on, on our treasure, if you will. 
And then we come again to verse 29. Because we're going to see before we get to the end of this passage that our tongue really must be that thing that just... Because there's more said about our speech in giving the devil an opportunity and in grieving the Holy Spirit of God than anything else in this passage. So to me, that tells me that that must be something that I need to watch more than anything else in my life is my speech, my tongue. And the Bible confirms this. James chapter 3 says, No man can tame the tongue, but you know who can help us tame our tongue? Jesus Christ. Because I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And even though I can't tame this tongue, Jesus can help me tame the tongue. And the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And there can be the greatest good, but there can also be great evil come out of our mouth. And that's why then he says, you must, verse 29, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. The word in the original language literally means putrid, rancid garbage. That's a pretty vivid picture. God says, don't let, you know, we we talk to children about, don't let your mouth be a potty mouth. Well, really, that's what God's saying. Don't be a potty mouth. Don't let your mouth be filled and come out with a bunch of garbage. Because to God, it grieves the Holy Spirit and it gives the devil an opportunity. Notice, only what is beneficial for the building up of the one in need that it may give grace to those who hear. A Christian, instead of using his mouth for worthless speech, the Christian should concentrate on making a positive contribution. The Christian should be concerned that his speech builds up rather than tears down, that it fills needs rather than increases them. Good speech, just as everything else in the Christian's life, should be under the Spirit's control. And thus it will be a means of blessing to those who hear it. And not cursing. In fact, I love that last phrase in verse 29. If I'm speaking as the Holy Spirit's leading me to speak, I'm giving grace to those who hear. And grace is defined in the Bible in in several ways and applied several ways. But one of the ways is energy. God's grace is energy. That's why Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. And God said to Paul when he prayed for the storm to be gone, said, my grace is sufficient for you because I will give you the power. I will give you the energy to be able to navigate this. And so literally our words, if they're good words, if they're Holy Spirit filled words, can literally energize people. Wow. How cool is that? That God gives us that kind of opportunity That the way we live our lives and as we go through life, the things that we say to others can literally energize them. It it can lift them. It can refresh them. It can build them up. That phrase, built up, in the original language is the same words that's used in the ancient Greek language for building a building, building a house, erecting a building. And that I should seek to speak in a way that I am building my brother and sister and everyone that I meet and helping them to build on their lives rather than to tear them down. And I think probably all of us, we certainly can identify with the latter. Because if we've been alive more than probably a few years on this earth, we've been on the other end of it. 
We've been on the other end of slander and gossip and hurtful words, and we know how painful it is when people say things that are hurtful to us. And yet we turn right around sometimes and do the same thing, even though we know how much that hurt us. In fact, I have to chuckle at being part of church life all my life, that there's sometimes it doesn't matter what church you're in or where you're at in the country or whatever, people are people, and we're all by nature pretty much the same. And, and you run into people who are gossipers. And they're over here in this little group over here, and they're talking about somebody else. And I always want to go up to them and, and say, did you all ever think that if you're talking about somebody else, that when you're not there, they're probably talking about you too? Did you ever figure that out? Because a leopard can't change its spots. So if that's the way they usually are, then when you're not around, you're probably going to be the subject of conversation. So it really would behoove you, if you're in a situation like that, to say, you know what, guys, I, I really don't want to be a part of this. Let, let's do what the Scriptures say, and, and let's build each other up. And if, if we can't say anything good, then let's talk about something else. Because if that kind of attitude is adopted in that group, then guess what? When you're not there, then they probably won't talk about you negatively either. Because it catches. It gives the devil an opportunity. It gives the devil, the one who seeks to come between us and God and us and others, a foothold in our life. And Paul said, don't give the devil an opportunity. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 31, you must put away every kind of bitterness, anger, wrath, quarreling, and evil, slanderous talk. There's a progression here. Starts out with bitterness. This resentment in the heart. Something's happened, and we become very resentful. Now, tonight's message is not a message on bitterness and how to deal with bitterness, but I'm just going to say this very quickly. Going back to tying grace into this, the Bible clearly teaches that in every situation and in each situation in life, there are certainly situations that I could become bitter, but God will give me the grace not to become bitter and resentful, but I have a choice. I can receive the grace of God and not become bitter, or I can push the grace of God away and become bitter and become resentful. And so I'm just going to leave it there because... God would just say, the next time you could get resentful, you could become bitter as a Christian, please receive my grace, and my grace will prevent you from becoming bitter or resentful. But when we do become bitter and resentful, one of the things that that's going to eventually lead to is this word for anger in verse 31. And this word for anger speaks about that outburst, you know, just that person that you can almost see. They're getting red. They're like a volcano. They're going to blow and outburst. And man, it can get ugly. And then it even goes beyond that. Because you know why? If a person is truly bitter and resentful at their heart, and they have these outbursts of anger because, again, life hasn't turned out the way they wanted it, and God has done me wrong, and people have done me wrong, and I'm just mad about it then pretty soon also it leads to wrath. And what's the difference between anger and wrath? Wrath is this 
seething, settled disposition that just sort of, it's always there under the surface. And that's why then it doesn't take much for somebody who's in this cycle to just go back to that outburst of anger because it's always there under the surface. And they're sometimes the kind of people that you, you're like, man, I I don't want to really be around them because you just never know, you know. They just can blow at any time because they live their whole life just like, don't talk to me, don't say anything to me, because it's just always under the surface. That's wrath. That seething, settled disposition, which obviously then leads to quarreling and evil. Literally violent arguments and yelling at one another. Now, I know none of us have experienced that. But that's what this attitude leads to. That then we get to the point where we start yelling and screaming and and we have these really violent arguments with each other, which then leads to slander, verse 31. And slander is where I, I intentionally and strategically seek to insult and injure the other person. Which, guess what? Leads to resentment and bitterness, and the whole cycle just keeps going round and round. And that's why these are laid out, that order, that way, in verse 31. Who can break that cycle in my life? The Holy Spirit of God. Allowing Him to take over, putting on the wardrobe of God, will prevent me from ending up in that endless cycle of bitterness and resentment and these outbursts and this seething, settled disposition and these violent arguments and these injury and and insulting words that I slam into other people's ears to hurt them. Instead, verse 32, be kind to one another compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Being kind describes a gracious, gentle manner. In fact, in the language, it even implies somebody who can be reasoned with, who's reasonable. We all know there are some people that you just can't reason with them. They're just not reasonable people. And we say that because we will say something like, I could, I could talk till I'm blue in the face, or I feel like I'm beating my head against the wall. And that's why we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to take over, because when He does and we begin to put on the wardrobe of God, God's kindness will begin to envelop our lives and God will transform our character into a gracious, gentle, reasonable character. A kindness, notice, that needs to be expressed in compassion, which is simply a willingness to be understanding of others, patient with them, and ready to put kindness into operation. And one important way for this virtue to be displayed is by the continual exercise of a forgiving spirit. Because in verse 32, the word forgiving is in the present active sense in the Greek language, meaning it's a continuous action. That God wants me to be forgiving for the rest of my life. To forgive others as God in Christ also forgave 
me. You see, the act of God at Calvary providing forgiveness in Christ made possible me, Jeff Royce, becoming a son of God. Therefore, if I am a son or daughter of God, I should be exhibiting the nature of my father. If I claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if I claim to be a child of God, a son or daughter of God, then one of the implications of that is that the way I behave will begin to reflect the way God treats me. And that's why God can say, you need Jeff to forgive others because I have forgiven you. One other important point. God is not saying that we have the power to forgive sin. Only God can forgive sin. But we do have the ability to release others from some kind of debt that we think that they owe us. And we're going to leave that debt with God. And we're going to put that at the foot of the cross because Jesus died for that sin too. And he died for that debt too. So we're just going to lay all of our junk and all of other people's junk at the foot of the cross and recognize that the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us from all sin. And love can cover a multitude of sins, Peter says. And so we're just going to lay it there and let it go and let God forget it or give it over to him. Because we all, I think, realize, don't we, that when we forgive others, it's not so much about them anyway. It's about us. Because if we don't forgive, it just eats us up inside. And guess what? Then we get on that cycle. That cycle of bitterness, resentment, anger, wrath quarreling and evil and slanderous talk. And God doesn't want us to get on that cycle. God wants us to get off that vicious cycle and to begin to allow the Spirit of God to transform us to be more like Jesus. Folks, the Bible's pretty practical. And the Bible has given us, especially tonight, two things to keep in mind until we meet again next Tuesday and begin in chapter 5. And can I just say I am so excited about chapter 5 and chapter 6 of Ephesians because we're coming to some of my favorite passages of Scripture to share. We're going to talk about the home. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare. We're going to talk more about the enemy and his strategy in our lives. And How do we defend ourselves? How do we stay strong in this battle that we find ourselves in? You keep coming because I guarantee you that through May 13th, we're going to dive into the book of Ephesians and we're going to let God speak to our hearts. But two things I believe more than anything else God wants to leave with us tonight as we leave here. Verse 27 and verse 30. Let's remind ourselves this next week not to give the devil, the diabolos, the one who wants to come between us and our fellowship with God, the one who wants to come between us and our spouses, the one who wants to come between us and our friends, our children, our parents, our brothers and sisters in Christ, do not give the devil that opportunity. Do not give him that foothold where he can put a base of operations up and wreak havoc. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Realize tonight once again, that God loves us so much that He wants His very best for us. 
And he knows that his very best for us and the way we're truly going to enjoy life and see good days is to walk with the Spirit of God and to walk in his power and strength and to put on the wardrobe of God. That's the way we're going to get the most out of life. Let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you for this book. Thank you, Father, for the clear instruction. And Lord, there, there is a lot in there tonight that if we were just to look at that humanly, we would say, God, there is no way. There is absolutely no way. And that's exactly where you want us. Because you want all of us as human beings to just say, I can't do that. Because when we get to the end of ourselves, there is God. And you are there to say, you're right, child. You can't live that way. But I can live through you. I can enable you to live Above living like that. I can infuse you with a power and strength that will enable you to go beyond what you could ever do on your own. And God, I, I just pray for each and every one of us that we would just allow you to take us further with you than we've ever went before. And that again, we would see revival really break out across this land. And that it even could begin right here on this church campus, even in a Bible study like this, where all of us would just say, God, I truly want you to be first in my life. I want you to do a work in my life, and I'm just going to let you do it and see what happens. God, thank you for this group of people that come out on Tuesday night. Bless their faithfulness. Bless their hunger. Bless them as only you can bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. Have a great week.